believe that in the 21st century, the topic of periods remains a taboo. My name is Leah, and in this podcast, I interview different people from different walks of life and different stories, and we talk about periods, because it is time to normalize the conversation around our blood. This is I Bleed. There are so many things unsaid around a woman's body. I sometimes feel that everything that relates to it is taboo. Whether we talk about sex, childbirth, periods, menopause, all topics are usually hushed. In this week's episode, I talk to Cleo, a sex positivity advocate, and we talk about everything related to a woman's body. As Cleo says, it seems that we hide all the realness of our bodies to abide unconsciously to societal expectation of what a good female body should look like. It's time to talk about our real bodies. Yeah, so basically I had a daughter and it was shit. Um, (laughs) I was like, why did no one prepare me for this awfulness in the postnatal period? And I really struggled with my identity and changing, you know, being me, but also being a mom. And, you know, where does my identity sit within that? Um, I had postnatal depression and I was really stressed. I had quite a traumatic birth, so I had some PTSD as well. And just the whole experience, I just felt there wasn't the right support there from, you know, from a medical perspective. So like from the NHS, you know, there's not enough time and in-depth chats with doctors there's the referrals are not there unless you know what you're looking for and how to push for them Mm -hmm. um and I had uh pelvic floor issues which led to painful sex which led to problems with my marriage so the whole kind of you know two three years after I had uh had my daughter was just this whole kind of maelstrom of issues and not being able to solve it and not knowing where to turn and feeling like I was alone and feeling like I should be I was feeling really guilty because no one else was going through all of this and actually the more you start to talk about it obviously I'm you know I'm a big advocate these days for all of these kind of women's wellness and um, you know positive sexual well-being experiences and all of that and that is largely driven by the fact that no one, when I was, when I needed it, no one was talking about it. So I kind of thought I was the one that was odd, that I, there was something wrong with me. And actually the more you talk about it, the more you realize that actually lots of people are going through all of these different things and different combinations of issues, but they all think they're on their own as well. And they're beating themselves up about it because they're not normal. Right. Um, And they don't, and they're too ashamed to talk about it probably. Yeah. That's exactly it. And so because we're not talking about it, we don't know that we have a problem that can be fixed. We don't know where to turn for help. And, you know, it's just a little bit of a vicious circle because you then feel even worse about yourself. You don't get your problem fixed. You know, that has the ramifications on, you know, your marriage or your relationship or your mental health or whatever it might be. And, you know, I just think if we were all a little bit more honest, (laughs) it would really, it would really, really help matters. Um, and you know, it's not as if, um, childbirth is a new thing. It's not a novel 
experience to go through. It's an experience that lots and lots of women go through. Um, not everyone, but it's not as if this is an unusual experience for people to go through and therefore it's not worth investing in. It is worth investing in because a lot of women will go through this. A lot of women will, um, you know, have these issues and need help. And currently they just don't know where to turn. Right. Yeah. Um, so well, I think, I think, I, I, I think <laughs> everything related to the women's body somehow, like, you know, it's kind of hushed and shushed and not de dealt with and not spoken about. And that's why there are so many taboos and stigma and shame related to a lot of issues or topics related yeah. to the women's body altogether. Definitely. Definitely. I think that's a really good way of describing it because, you know, especially with for example childbirth you know we are there is a certain amount of pressure for us to have children to bear children and you know fulfill our potential as women and you know the, there is a lot of shame that comes with you know fertility issues and so on and then you know you're encouraged to have this baby you're you know worshipped as the pregnant woman and you know all of this and then you have the baby and everyone's like right but you know you've still got your baby belly like you know why do you still look pregnant because I had a baby like two weeks ago like how dare you how dare you not want me to show any signs of having gone through this massive physical transformation um I really really struggle with that actually the whole kind of you know um rhetoric around pregnancy and then the kind of postnatal bouncing back you know all of that vocabulary I find very difficult because you know it isn't about bouncing back you're a different person when you've had a baby when you've pushed something out of your vagina or had massive uh, you know abdominal surgery <laughs> um so you know, why should you have to look the same as you did before? Why should we not celebrate how women look afterwards? It's yeah. just it's a very kind of, you know, divisive topic, I think. I like, I like how you say it. Like, it's like you have, you, once after giving birth, you are a different woman. So why are we mm. like aiming to be the same woman as we were before? And I think it's yeah. partly like all the social media pressure and like, because I remember after I gave birth, like my, my birth pictures were horrible. Like I was like a, a whale. I was like, I, I, I had to have a C-section, an, an emergency C-section. So all the pictures I'm like, and then I'm like, I told my husband and my mother, like, like, how could you take pictures of me like that? Like I see all these women taking pictures. They all have like a six pack. They just gave birth. Their hair is <laughs> yeah. dead. And they have their makeup on. Yeah. <laughs> and like my picture, I'm like a giant tit. I didn't even know that I was going to have like, like milk, this milk, uh, like, you know, the, the milk coming out and the breast yeah. becoming giant. Nobody told me about that. So I was like a giant, like booby, you know, like looking like, <laughs> I went through a battlefield and all my pictures are like that. And it, and in my head, I'm like, I'm not supposed to look like that. And I struggled with my body for a very long time afterwards and in my sexuality even because yeah. I didn't feel sexy. I didn't feel like having sex with this body of mine. And it was very difficult to communicate that to my husband who was like, you're fine. He's like, no, I'm not like I'm fat. <laughs> and I feel like that is the biggest shame of it all because 
you know, the pictures that we see in media or on social media, like whatever people are posting on Instagram, they're all the perfect pictures. Actually, everyone's probably got pictures like you <laughs> and was feeling like you, but they just weren't telling anyone. And, you know, they take a picture, you know, you're only going to post the one where you look like this goddess with a newborn, like, or baby. And the perky tit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I just think that's such an incredible shame that we hide all of that realness and that we, and, and, and that isn't necessarily uh, a conscious decision that we make. It's because the societal expectations are that, you know, this is motherhood. This is a, a beautiful woman and a perfect baby who kind of sleeps through the night right from the word go. And we aren't shown the other side of it. We aren't shown the realness. And therefore, when you don't meet these completely ridiculous expectations, you feel terrible about yourself. And I know, like, you, your perspective of your body changes because you don't realize that actually that's what's going to happen. All of the conversations are around you know oh look at Victoria Beckham she like looks she doesn't even look like she had a baby in her her baby's only four weeks old and it's like well yeah because she's probably feeling under great pressure and like huge uh overwhelming um you know pressure from the press and from the media to like lose that weight also she has like a ton of personal trainers and nutritionists at her beck and call and also isn't it isn't that sad that we think that that is what we need to aspire to god let her just have 12 weeks off or you know right. <laughs> kind of be in her house and sleep and recover rather than feeling that pressure to kind of appear getting off a first class plane you know in perfectly uh, in 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 like a perfect costume and with a perfect child in tow i just think that's incredibly damaging and you're right for like the the sexuality side of it as well because you think, oh my God, this is completely abnormal. You're, we're not prepared for the way that our body does change or has the capacity to change. And that's not to say that it won't change back as well. Like, of course, like I'm fitter and stronger now than I was post-natal, you know, before I had a baby, but that takes time. And it's also, and I'm stronger and fitter in a different way. I'm not trying to get back to where I was before I had a baby. Right. I'm embracing the changes and being strong alongside those changes if that makes sense right yes and, and we don't get taught that and you know that has just such a massive impact on our whole sexual identity as well right no t t definitely and this is where this is where and breath came along like is it was it like yeah. <gasps> and breathe right like yeah, breathe. yeah it's exactly <laughs> right yeah um so yeah so I had a real struggle with you know as I say during that whole kind of definitely in the first year postnatally, but it, it kind of carried on for kind of two or three years until I felt like I was in a, a good space again. But when I was in that first kind of two, three months postnatally, I was desperate to find something, an environment that would help me and support me where I could go away and be out of my home routine and feel like me again. So, you know, feel back in touch with my body, start to rehabilitate my pelvic floor and my core, you know, eat good food where I had just been eating biscuits and toast because it's just easy, right? If you hold a baby with one hand, you can only <laughs> you can right. grab what you have 
can with with the other um and just kind of being around other people who are going through a similar thing being able to kind of meditate and have childcare, but and and like do it all with my husband and my baby as well and that's really where the concept of and breathe came about because I couldn't find anything like that. I couldn't find any kind of retreat or space that I could go on and, and kind of experience all of this. So I kind of thought, well, if I want it, then maybe other people do too. And that's where, um, you know, I just decided to try it and see what, what would happen. Um, right. So yeah, it, it definitely came from a need. And I know that from our guests, you know, over the last five years, it, it is something that other people are looking for as well because and and I think that's kind of understandable because you know you look at certain cultures where you have like the 40 days confinement um you know in a lot of East Asian cultures and you know just a lot more support around that postnatal period and we just don't have that as much in Europe in USA like you know a lot of the kind of whiter more westernized cultures and I think that, you know, perhaps that's what's missing. Perhaps that support, that village is not there. Right. So you, through, through and breathe, you try to recreate that feeling of like, it takes a village to raise a baby and also to take care of the mother, probably yeah, after giving yes. birth. Definitely. And, and my focus has always been much more on the mother, the parents, than it has been the child. You know, there's so much resource out there, like baby massage classes and baby yoga classes and, you know, a doctor's appointment for the baby and the weighing in clinic. And the mother. Oh, yeah, God, yeah exactly. <laughs> but, you know, there isn't anything, there isn't that much out there for the mum in that period. And right. so... Yeah, that was the idea was to kind of recreate that kind of support network. And of course, you know, like we mainly do retreats. Like, of course, that isn't exactly the same as creating like this whole village around you that's going to be there for the rest of your life. But if you can kind of, for me, it felt like if you can kind of touch upon that and give yourself that break for just a week or a short space of time, you get that reset, you kind of are able to think a little bit more about what you actually need and what you need to prioritize right. in order to make your life a little bit easier and a bit happier and a bit better right 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 wow and and in regards to menstruation and and sexuality like how what because how does how do you think they go hand in hand somehow because that's a connection that not a lot of people make you know like yeah. and you're not I really taught about it oh totally I, th- I think it's a really interesting one that because I think you know we briefly chatted on email before about the link and I just think it's such a powerful one because you know sexuality ultimately you know leads to a baby or could lead to a baby and menstruation is the kind of sign that you are sexually available or sexually active and at the same time it's held up as such a dirty thing in so many cultures you know menstruating women need to go and live in a shed at the bottom of the garden for a week or you know you're not allowed to touch food or you're not allowed to pray when you're when you're menstruating and on the one hand you have this such such a powerful experience to go through and you know your capacity to bring life into this world and that is revered 
And on the other hand, when you show signs of that capacity to bring life into the world, you're reviled. And I find, I find that really strange. I find that a really um, difficult um, contradiction to come to terms with. Right. Because they are, they are. It's like an oxymoron. At one point, it's yeah. beautiful. At another, t- like, yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same thing. How can you hate it on one hand and love it with the other? <laughs> Don't you think? Yes, definitely. I also think that for a lot of us, like, you know, menstruation is one of those big turning points as well. It's like a moment in our lives. Um, and, you know, as your project rightly points out, we 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 kind of don't we sometimes celebrate that a lot of the time we don't we don't quite know how to deal with it we don't know what that means for our identity and how we think of ourselves as as women as girls turning into women and i think that sex can also be another one of those milestones um because it's kind of another rite of passage but often, you know, there are, you know, pe- people can kind of think about sex in, in a similar way in that, you know, it's a beautiful thing and it can be really, really beautiful and loving and intimate with the right person. But a lot of us for our first, second, third times don't actually feel that, you know, maybe we are pressured into it by someone or we choose to do it with the wrong person because we're desperate to to not be virgins anymore um and so you can't that you kind of have this strange dichotomy um between how joyous and powerful it can be and how it actually makes us feel in like a social context you right. know that kind of inward that inward feeling and the feelings that you that you you know purport to everyone else right. um, and how you kind of talk about it um in a social context is very different to how you might talk about it with the person that you're doing it with or you know think about it in your own head right that's a yeah i think that's a that's a really difficult one for for us to come to terms with and, we, and again we don't talk about that enough um we don't we don't teach young women how to have those conversations with themselves and with their potential partners in order to kind of come through it in in like a healthy way (laughs) so would you would you reckon that like if we start as a start like teaching our daughters and the young girls to first speak about their periods in a positive way and after that speak about sex because they kind of like there was like if you don't even speak about periods positively how can you speak about sex positively and then how can you speak about giving birth positively it seems like you know it's like and you're absolutely right I feel like it's all part of the same um range of emotions it's it's all part of the same canon of conversations isn't it like you, you know it's all women's health it's all stuff that we feel slightly needs to be celebrated but also needs to be hidden you know, um, and I think if you start having these open and honest conversations from the beginning, you know, like how, about how our bodies are changing, about how, you know, now we're bleeding, about how we can now, you know, potentially have ch- children, 
if you start with that conversation right at the beginning, then that surely has to have a positive impact when you kind of go on to the next level and the next level and, you know, and you, and we age and our bodies change again and again and again. Um, uh, you, you know, for me, I think honesty is at the heart of it. As I, as I was saying before, you know, if you can have, the more that you talk about something, the more normalized it becomes. Right. And right. so then you can ask for help if you need it, or you can talk about how uncomfortable it's making you feel, or you can talk about the way that someone else made you feel about it. Um, and you can know when something is an issue or, 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 and you won't feel ashamed when something makes you feel amazing and you want to share that. And I think, right. you know, I don't know what your experience of sexual education was at school, um, but mine was pretty S bad. Scientific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you cover emotion? No. No. Um, did, did you cover like the practicalities of it? Um, it was you like, know, always scientific. And even everything was done in a very scientific way, you know, like there was no talk about emotions you know a lot of this conversation around kind of menstruation sexuality childbirth you know menopause a lot of it you know although it's although it's about the woman a lot of it is framed within the male context which i think can be you know quite damaging as well for our mental health right definitely um, and the way that you view yourself um but do you find in the work that you do that a lot of the women that you that you work with have also like the same kind of taboo with their period that is passed along? Here's what's interesting. I think that when once people have had babies, they're then much more open to talking about menstruation and, you know, other aspects of kind of, you know, taboo subjects than they were previously because once you've had a baby it's like okay well everything was on show like you know right right like, i kind of don't care anymore which i think is the wrong way around i think you know as we were just talking about i think you know if we can learn to discuss these things and be more open about them at, at a much earlier stage then that would set us in good stead for childbirth and for all of the other you know stages that we go through afterwards um so I guess at least it's positive that women are opening up once they've had babies, but actually it should be much earlier, especially because of this link that we've talked about with the kind of, you know, taboo aspect between, you know, when talking about menstruation and, and, and sexual well-being and sexuality and, and so on as well. And I think, you know, another aspect of that is when we when when we kind of consider ourselves in a sexual light when we are younger say in our teens or in our 20s a lot of that is not a lot of that is not centered on our own happiness and pleasure mm. a lot of it is centered on others and that's because I feel like we don't have the language and the skills to talk about it with our own pleasure at the center um right you know, a lot of conversation around sex and sexuality is about men's pleasure and because we don't get taught those skills it's harder for us to find our 
sexual well-being than it right. would the other one. Does that make sense? Right. Sorry, yes, 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 yes. No, definitely. No, no, definitely. Um, and do you think after giving birth, it changes even more drastically? In terms of how you think about yourself, you mean? Yeah, and your sexuality. Yeah, I mean, so I really, really struggled um, postnatally. I had a, so I, I had a, uh, interventions so I had an episiotomy and then um a forceps delivery and so I had uh scarring both from the episiotomy and internal vaginal grazing and on top of that I had a hypertonic pelvic floor which is when your pelvic floor is too strong and not flexible enough because I had been so desperate not to have a too loose pelvic floor because I wanted to you know make sure that I was performing sexually still afterwards, of course. Um, you know, all of this horrible stuff that you absorb without even really realizing it. Um, and so sex was really painful for me for, you know, at least a year after I gave birth. Um, at about that time, I had asked to be, uh, you know, referred for help via my GP, my general practitioner. Um, but they basically sent me to all of these different specialists that were no use at all. So I got swabbed for infection a couple of times, which came back negative. I got sent to a gynecologist who just didn't examine me properly at all. I got sent for an internal ultrasound, which obviously came back negative. And then about a year after I gave birth, I found a women's health physiotherapist, um, who basically changed my life because she was like, well, look, you've got all of this scarring that no one has taught you to manage. You're really, really tense because you've had trauma from the birth and, you know, depression and so on. Um, and your, and your pelvic floor is too tight. So this really sensitive scar tissue is not giving way when something penetrates. So it's just causing huge amounts of pain, which is making it worse because you associate sex with pain. So then you, you're even more tense. You're tense. Yeah, so it was all very simple once she told me what to do about it, but I couldn't believe that I had asked to be referred so many times and like was trying to find the, the answer to like what the problem was for a year before I had even got anywhere near an answer. And that was, that was someone that I had found myself. That wasn't that my GP had recommended it or anything like that. Right. Um, and so, you know, for me, certainly... I felt terrible postnatally in terms of my sexuality, A, because my body had changed, as you say, like you're not necessarily in the same, you know, physique as you are before you have your baby, before you get pregnant. Um, So that I struggled with, Um, that I struggled with the actual kind of mechanics of it physically being, you know, penetration just being nearly impossible. And I struggled with it in terms of like my mental health as well, because I was quite depressed. I wasn't ever really feeling in the mood. Um, I then felt guilty because I was like, oh, I'm letting my husband down, even though he was super understanding and lovely about it. And, you know, he's he's a brilliant guy. But I felt guilty. You know, I was putting that pressure on myself. Right, right. Felt guilty about it. So, you know, we only really got back to having uh pleasurable sex again about two years after i gave birth Mm. and 
obviously that's quite a long time and it really impacts your relationship as well and how you relate to one another and it becomes like this big thing that you know you know you need to solve but it's not getting solved and it's a bit you know of course we had other stuff going on as well you know when you're new parents you're tired you're stressed you're going right. to be snappy anyway and then you throw that into the mix and it definitely definitely kind of it definitely took us to the brink in terms of our marriage you know we we talked about divorce on a number of occasions and you know I feel like that's a really sad position to be in given that I'm sure a lot of people go through similar and we just don't give people the tools to deal with it yeah definitely but I also think like after birth, there is also a drop in some hormone in a woman that makes her also on top of all the yeah. things that you mentioned. <laughs> so you are also have that like hormone when you're breast, if you're breastfeeding, that makes yeah. you completely like not interested in sex as well, you know, until no, your periods come back. Yeah, I think so. I think that's an interesting one because um, you know oxytocin is is what's released um, when you're feeding, and that technically is the kind of love hormone. Um, but it doesn't, you know, it's kind of love in that kind of warm way. It's not really love in like a sexual way. And if you're breastfeeding, you are likely to lose your natural vaginal lubrication. Um, so a lot of women don't have that, um, you know, and that can remain the case for, you know, at least two to three cycles after you stop breastfeeding as well. So it can be a long time, um, before, you know, things feel, um, regulated. (laughs) Yeah. Regular. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. Before you feel back on an even keel. Um, and you know, I just, I feel like I was in a, a a good position in that, you know, my husband is very open to having these conversations and, you know, understanding and, you know, we both love therapy. So we've always been like, <laughs> you Let's know, talk about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily make it easier. And I feel like we were in a pretty good position. Imagine, right. imagine if we, if we had, don't talk in. about it. Right. Yeah exactly exactly um and you know the stats for people the stats for divorce in the first year of marriage after having a baby are really high um which i think is interesting as well because you know we just you know as i say and i'll say it again um you know pretty much everyone goes through this having a baby and you know we just don't talk about how to deal with it properly no, no, definitely. I think everybody I know was kind of affected. But and but the problem I found is that a lot of people don't talk about it, you know, because there's also that thing of like putting up that facade where like everything is perfect and people don't actually talk like, you know, talk about yeah. depression, talk about lack of sexual drive, talk about, you know, menstrual irregularities or like, you know, it's like, I just feel we like to live in a filter, filter world as well, you know, where everything is so beautiful and filtered. And I think that's interesting because you're absolutely right. People don't talk about it as a kind of like common topic with friends or around a dinner party or, or anything like that. What I do think is positive is that more and more 
companies and brands are being a bit more open about it and representing periods in a kind of more realistic way in in advertising and you know there's lots of kind of there's lots of kind of startup brands that are doing uh tampons in a different way or you know period pants or you know innovating with sanitary towels and and i think that's quite cool um that you know that we're that we're kind of in a position now where at least we're talking about it enough to innovate on that level but i think it's that everyday conversation isn't it that everyday like you know not being able to say like in the office oh do you know what guys I'm sorry I snapped in that meeting because you know my period's due next week and I'm just feeling really shit like yeah yeah yeah. that's not that that isn't acceptable or 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 would be kind of frowned upon I think is a real shame and I think that that Sorry, go on. Yeah, but I do think like if we if we change and we change the way we talk and we make it more open, everything would be so much more fluid. And I think our relationship with one another in general, in terms of human beings, would be so much more transparent, uh, so much more honest, so much more, you know. Like I just learned like yesterday, I had my first acupuncture session, which I've never done. Ooh, how and was it? It was it, honestly, it was great because I've been suffering with like. Um, uh, IBS, you know, like I have some strong IBS. My cycle got shorter after Corona, this Corona, and I quit smoking in December. So my whole cycle, everything, and (laughs) I I completely lost my libido, like, you know, with all this happening. And the acupuncturist yesterday was telling me like when my cycle, when your cycle is below 25 days, which was, was happening, it was like 24 days you produce less um, uh, estrogen, you know? Estrogen, yeah, Estrogen, yeah. so you don't ovulate like you're supposed to. And by not ov- ovulating like you're supposed to, you're not really fertile during that time. And therefore, you're not really, like, you don't feel very sexual, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, like, because I was thinking, and my husband's like, <laughs> are, you, are you, like, are you not, do you, don't you like me anymore? Like, is there something? I was like, no, I don't know what to tell you. I just, don't feel it you know but that lady <laughs> yesterday was like I don't know like just talking about it you know yeah and also that's really interesting isn't it that you know that that can be such a revelation for you for yes. and for us as women you know for us to get to however old you are but like you know you've had a good experience of life by now and to not know that that could be isn't it crazy i keep having like aha moments like i didn't know that like if you don't have a 28 day cycle you that's why that would justify you not having a libido i just thought it was mental right it's like yeah i'm depressed and i don't know it maybe i'm like anxious and i don't know it right yeah but the thing thing. hormones are so powerful like we you know we we kind of sneer at them in societies oh she's really hormonal whatever like but they are so, so powerful. And yes, okay, that can be a complete pain in the arse, but it's also something to celebrate as well. And that's really interesting that we just don't do that. Like, you know, we don't we don't have these conversations celebrating hormones. There's something to be kind of... Uh, shushed. Know, yeah, shushed. And also, to you know, we, we need to have control over them. We need to like, you know, put them in their box. We need to like deal with them. Whereas actually, you know, they, they're, they're, they're such powerful things and they create such, um, you know, amazing changes in our body that actually, you know, if we talked about them in a slightly different way, it can be really game changing in terms of our 
the way we think about ourselves. No, definitely. But again, you see, I just feel like conversations, if we don't talk about things, how can things evolve and how can they become normal from birth to sex, to periods, to anything related to a woman's body? I think, you know. And I think that that is very sadly comes down to the, the the patriarchy doesn't it in terms of the way that society has grown up and the way that it has structured it has all been dictated largely by men and so that is why like if 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 women had framed the framework of our society and built it up maybe we would be having these conversations maybe it would be normal to talk about periods in the office and you know for everyone to have like uh, a day off if they're really struggling with endometriosis or whatever it might be yeah. and because we don't have that because you know we are trained in a kind of work and corporate environment and you know in society more generally to be more masculine to not show emotion like it's all part to get of it that together aspect. pull it together yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly like you know fall within like you said earlier square fall within the box like you know conform to a certain idea and a certain shape and, and, and way of being and you know I, I do think that that is is kind of at the heart of it it is you know I, I mean I know you know this but it's a massive feminist issue isn't it of like you know, not being able to have these conversations. And I think it would have looked very different if it were, you know, the other way around. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Cleo, for this conversation. And you're so welcome. It's been great to to chat and and lovely and wonderful. Likewise. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to share, like, and subscribe, and participate in my first period project or the pad art. All information are on the site i-bleed.com.